Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Give Him glory. Amen. You be seated. Good to see you. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence and we now come where we open the book of life, we pray that, Father, you would speak to us through your word, the Holy Spirit, you would take the truth of the word of God and apply it to our heart, that, Father, our hearts would be changed, that out of our heart would not flow defilement, but, Father, out of our heart would flow, Father, righteousness, not the righteousness that we have or the righteousness that we produce, but may it be the righteousness that Christ is producing in and through us, that today we would leave here, Father, being a witness to the world, Father, making disciples as you've called us to do, and that, Father, we leave here experiencing the victory that we have in Christ. So change us, Lord, through your word today. We ask it, Lord, that you would also be with me as I preach, as I pray every week, Father, that you would hide Mike and let them see Christ. And if, Father, you would let my lips only, Lord, honor and speak the truth this morning. That, Father, I'd never go astray. I take very seriously, Lord, the opportunity to stand before a congregation of people and preach the word. And, Lord, I know that one day I'll give an accounting of what I preach. And, yet I want to be honoring to you today. So I pray that even as we, uh, Lord, preach today, that you would be honored, that you'd be glorified, and that all that you've spoken to my heart in preparation... And that, Father, that you may speak to my heart even while I'm preaching. May you receive glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a copy of God's Word, begin to find Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs 6. And we've been looking at a sermon series that we've entitled, Seven Things That God Hates. And we've been looking through the text together. And we've been talking about these different sins that are listed here in Proverbs 6 that we uh, have been reminding you of that is not a, a comprehensive list. Uh, a lot of people will take these seven and go, well, these are the big seven. Let me just tell you, all sin is repulsive to God. Amen? Uh, God is uh, righteous. There's no, nothing uh, in him that is sinful. There is nothing in him that desires sin. There is nothing in him that puts up with sin. And so as we begin to think about these seven sins this morning, the list is not comprehensive, but we have been reminding you that the reason why we think that they're so repulsive to God is because these are a, a, a list of sins. And we told you last week that this list really could, we could list underneath of it the ways these sins are committed, which are a lot of other sins. But we, we talked about these sins, particularly are a violation of the second greatest commandment that we have been given, and that is to love others as we love ourselves. And uh, you remember the first greatest commandment is to love God with everything that we are. And the second, Jesus says, like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you look at these sins, whether it be the sin of pride, and remember we said that pride is the sin that devalues other people. We talked about lying in the past. We talked about lying is the real hate speech. Uh, that's what the word tells us, right? That when you lie, you hate the person you're lying to. Uh, that's why you're lying. And we, we've talked about a lot of these different sins. And every time we've talked about them, we went back to remind us how they violate 
that second greatest commandment. But the other thing we've tried to do is to really find ourselves in the text. Because it's, it's easy for us to read something out of the Old Testament, especially something dealing with such a, a, a deep, um, a, a, a struggling text to, to say, you know what, well, that's somebody else. Somebody else is the liar. Somebody else is full of pride. Somebody else has feet that are run to evil. But we've been trying to find ourselves in the narrative because it's important that when, when God speaks to us through the word, that we always look at the word and go, you know, Lord, when you're speaking through the word, you've got a message for me. Amen. And I know about you, when I have my daily devotion time and and uh, Marie and I are reading systematically through uh, a plan that she's put together. And as I read that, I, 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 every, every day, it's like the other day specifically, I was praying about something in my life and I got down to reading the word and I was like, okay, God, I get it. You know, it's like God was speaking so much to me in, in volume, but like loudly. You ever have that happen, Daniel, where God just speaks so loudly through the word? And I was reading the word in Joshua. They tried to take Ai and you can remember that there was sin in the camp. And, and then in chapter six, uh, God uh, is telling them, you know, you need to deal with all the people of the land. And this, this one group of Hivitites come like they're coming from a long distance. And, and they, they come to Joshua and pretend that they travel a long journey. And the Bible says in that text, and I know that doesn't do with the sermon. You just hang on there. I got a couple of minutes. I'm, I'm going to use it. Okay. So but the Bible says in that text that they came and they believed the lie. And you know why they believed the lie? They believed the lie simply because it says one verse. They did not consult the Lord. Let me tell you, God spoke volumes to me. There are times in our life when tragedy happens, when we believe a lie, when things come in that the devil uses in our life is because we did not consult the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, you better be one who consults the Lord. Amen. Or you too may be deceived by something that comes into your life. Well, Proverbs chapter six, we are in verse 19. We are about done with the series. Uh, Lord willing, the creek doesn't rise. We'll be done with the series next week. And uh, I have a, a, a two, two messages I'm going to be preaching. And then we'll be moving into the uh, Christmas holiday season. But as we think about Proverbs 6 today, I want you to slip down in verse 19 because the subject matter of today is simply in verse 19, the first half. This is a false witness who speaks lies. God, is, God hates that when someone is a false witness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's an abomination to him. It is something that causes God's stomach to turn. It makes him sick to his stomach when we think about uh, lying. And so I want you to to understand, we've already defined lying. Remember, lying is this. It's anything you say that is intended to lead a person to believe a falsehood. And when we begin to think about lying in verse 19, it's a, it's a form of lying that he's talking about. And that is, the subject matter is perjury. Have you ever seen any of those law shows on TV? Uh, they always start off, you know, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth shall help you, God. You ever been there? Anybody ever been in a court of law, had to, had to do that? You know, I've been there. I, unfortunately, I've been in a court of law before, and, and I've had to uh, make, make an oath that I would tell the truth when I got onto the, the stand. And, and so, you know, that is a reality that, 
that we face in society, but it's, it's a reality that comes out of the word of God, that, that when you go before a court system, if you look in the book of Deuteronomy and, and trace perjury through the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find that, it, that God gave command that when people went before a court system, that they would give an oath that they would tell the truth. And oftentimes that oath was given in his name. And we'll talk about that as we go through the text a little bit today. So perjury, I want you to think about perjury. So perjury is when you deliberately lie after taking an oath. And so you, you, you take the oath, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And, and you take that and you then are asked a series of questions. And if you deliberately lie, if you deliberately do not, do not tell the truth, you perjure yourself. Now, in the state of Alabama, Perjury is taken pretty seriously. I found this on a, a law website. I'm not a lawyer. So if you're a lawyer in here and I quote it wrong, you can tell me later. But I found this on a, on a website and it says that perjury, uh, the reason why it's such a severe crime is, listen to this, perjury, the crime of lying under oath is a serious offense. Here's why. Because it can derail the basic goal of the justice system and that is in discovering the truth. I want you to think about that word for a minute, though, to derail. Because we're going to come back to that. Because that's so important when we think about perjury. By the way, in the state of Alabama, perjury is a, in the first degree, is a class C felony. And, the, and a class C felony is punishable by a prison sentence of at least one year and one day or up to 10 years in prison. And it can carry a fine of up to 15 grand. So perjury is a pretty serious offense. Now, when you think about perjury and you think about the word of God, most of us don't really put those together. We don't really think about perjury in the Bible. We don't, really, does the Bible really talk about that subject? Well, it really does. And it's talking about that right here in Proverbs 6, where he says that he does not appreciate, he hates, and he finds it would be an abomination those who are false witnesses. That is, they lie under oath. So what does the Bible really have to say about that? Well, I wanted to simply have you write this down. Number one, the point I want to make today is that perjury is lying, that we've already talked about that subject about lying, but let me remind you of three things that we talked about when it came to lying, because you need to be, re, re, be reminded, and here they are. Number one, lying refre- reflects the character of the devil not God. Remember we talked about that. I'm not going to go into all the explanation of that, but just remember that lying reflects the character of the devil. That is, when you and I tell a lie, we're not doing that from God's resources. We're doing that from the resource of the devil. And he's been a liar from the beginning, the Bible says. He's been a deceiver, and that's what his name means anyway, is to be a deceiver. So lying is the character of the devil. I don't know about you, but I do not want to reflect the character of the devil. Amen? But not only that, we told you, if you remember right, that lying, as I said at the beginning of the the, uh, introduction, that lying is the real hate speech. The Bible tells us that when we lie to somebody else, we're really demonstrating the fact that we hate that person. And that's exactly what the Proverbs teach about hate speech. There's a lot being said about hate speech today, but nobody's talking about lying and how much It is a demonstration of our hate towards other people. And thirdly, and most importantly, lying is punishable by God. Amen? God's going to punish liars. We we sometimes think that liars are going to get off. They're not going to get off. They're going to be punished. God's going to punish all lying. So, So that's the simple point, right? That's the simple part of the sermon. Perjury is just simply lying. It's a, it's a form by which somebody under oath 
says they're going to tell the truth, but they deliberately tell a falsehood. Now, why is it so evil? Why is it so vile? Well, obviously, because it is lying and God hates lying. Well, we get that, right? But there's another element in perjury that we forget to look at and to think about. And it goes back to that definition of what I I took off of the website by this lawyer. And that is that when somebody perjures themselves in the court of law, it can derail the justice system. Now, what does that all go back to? And here it goes back to is point number two, that perjury, when we perjure ourselves, it has something to do with subverting justice. Why don't you think about that for a minute? When you tell a lie in court, you are subverting justice. That is when somebody lies in court, you can do one of two things. You can either hurt or ruin the innocent, or you can set the one who is evil free. You begin to subvert the justice system. Now, I want you to think about justice for a minute because we um, don't think a lot about justice today. But I'm going to tell you, God is very concerned whether you and I act in just manner or not. That is, how do you see yourself when you begin to look at the world? Do you have this worldview that's a godly worldview? And a godly worldview will look at the world with the lens of wanting to be just, to be fair, to treat people with honesty and integrity, to uplift people, right? If you are going to be godly and you're going to look at the world that's out there, then you have to see the souls of all mankind as valuable. Amen? You with me this morning? And so justice is crucial. Justice is key in doing that. And so we want to be just in all that we do. So what does the Bible have to say then about justice? Well, we're talking about perjury. Well, if perjury subverts justice, what is justice? Well, listen to what the Bible says, Exodus 23. Exodus 23, 1 and 2 says this, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. In other words, don't follow the crowd. When the crowd's doing wrong, don't join in the crowd and follow the crowd. He said in verse 2, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. In other words, when you promise to tell the truth, you tell the truth. Because if you don't, he says, you pervert justice. When a person commits perjury, you are destroying the justice system, but you're acting in an ungodly, evil, and wicked way. Now you're going to say, how's that got to do with me? Well, you hang on there. I think I'll show you at the end. But what does God think about justice? Well, first of all, God loves justice. I want you to think about Micah 6, 8. Listen to what God says. He has shown you, O man, what is good. God has shown the nation of Israel time and time and time again what he demands, what he expects. Here's what God says is good. What does the Lord require of you? But here it is, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does God expect? God expects us to do justly, to be just towards other people. You know, the nation of Israel, one of the problems that they had, and it's highlighted through all throughout the Old Testament, not only did they have this problem with idolatry, and they kept going back to idols time and time and time and time again. But the other thing, by the time we get the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, they are hammering the people because they have perverted the justice system. That is, there was not 
justice in the land. People were just doing any way they want to be. They were lying about one another. They were not telling the truth about one another. They were taking oaths that didn't mean anything. They were perverting the land with their injustice. And and the Bible even literally says it's fallen in the street. That is, that we can't find it. Let that never be said of us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it never be said that we've taken and turned our eye and been blind to the justice that we ought to stand up for and adhere to. Amen? Let us care enough about people to stand up. Amen? Because there's enough injustice in our land. Would you agree? There's enough of it going on. And you and I, if God loves justice, then we ought to love justice. But here's the second thing I want you to write down. God blesses those who practice justice. Listen to Psalm 106.3. David writing said, Blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness at all times. See, there's a blessing. Is God watching? Is God looking at us? Is God examining? Yes, he is. God's looking to see how just are you? Are you dealing with others justly? Do you look at the world again with this lens that God has of justice in the world? Now, listen, we can't fix everything in the world. Amen. Are you with me? We can't fix everything. I mean, I wish we could. You know, we we can go join the guys at the coffee shop and we can sit there on Monday morning and we can converse back and forth about all the the evil in the world and all the problems that America has and all of that. We we, We can't fix all that. And the problem is, you know, that too many people want to try to fix all that. And so they get on Facebook and they make all these little rants and they do all these crazy things. But let me just tell you something. What God expects of you is not try to fix all that. What God wants you to do is approach that with a heart of justice. That is to treat people rightly. Amen? And how do you treat people rightly? Listen, the second greatest commandment, love others as you love yourself. How do you treat people rightly? How do you treat them justly? Listen, everybody deserves the gospel. Everybody's not going to believe. We know this. We can read the Bible. Broad is the way. Narrow is the gate. We know all that truth. But everybody deserves the gospel. If we withhold the gospel, how just is that? We got the message. We got the answer for the world. Yet the church is too busy trying to police the world. The church is too busy trying to be on Facebook and talk about things. Listen, we need to be talking about the gospel. Amen? We need to be taking the gospel to the world. That's our commission. That's our call. Why? Because we justly understand everybody needs it. And so we ought to be sending the gospel out. But not only that, listen... Justice deals with right and wrong. When you are a just person, Proverbs 21, 15 says this, when justice is done, it's a joy to the righteous and a terror to evildoers. That's the problem, by the way. Why is the world turned upside down when it comes to right and wrong? Because what we're doing is we're punishing the church, we're punishing truth, and we're letting the wrong go free. Amen? There's, not, there's no justice in that. Amen? <laughs> there's no justice in that. And so the justice system is polluted. And then lastly, God will punish all perjurers. Proverbs 19.9, listen to this. A false witness will not go unpunished, period. Malachi 3.5, God speaking to the church or to the nation of Israel. And I will come near you for judgment and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against idolaters, or adulterers, excuse me, against perjurers. Why is that? Because they do not fear me, says the Lord. That's why there's not justice. People don't fear God. 
People, I think we talked a little bit about this last Sunday in our sermon, but people lost a, a healthy, reverential fear for God. That is, oh, we, 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 we narrow it down to worship, right? Oh, I, I fear God. I come to worship and I lift my hands and I, I sing to God and I worship God. But listen, there's also this terror. There's also this fear by which we say, you know what? I'm going to one day stand before God and I'm going to give an accounting of my life. And if you don't think that's a real fear, then just read Paul over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, knowing then the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Listen, because we know that we're going to stand before the Lord one day and give an accounting of our life, listen, that's not a walk in the park. We make it look like it's going to be so easy. Listen, praise God, I'm not going to lose my salvation. But I'm going to give an accounting of my life. I don't know about you. That's going to be tough. Amen? Because I know my life. <laughs> Do you know your life? And when I begin to look at my life, I go, oh, whoa, it's me. I'm going to give an accounting before the Lord. And the Bible says what we've done in the body, whether good or bad, we'll give an accounting for. Amen? And I'm going to give an accounting for leading the churches I've led. I'm going to give an accounting for the preaching of the messages that I've preached. I'm going to give an accounting for how we built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We'll give an accounting for that one day. All of us in this room will do that. And we forget God loves justice. And God's going to punish perjury. He's going to punish the unjust. And you and I need to act justly in this world. That's what God expects of his people, of his followers, as we look at the world out there. But you're saying, well, how does that relate to me? Well, that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. How does that relate to us? Because I want you to write this down. Thirdly is this, perjury and Jesus. What does Jesus have to say about perjury? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, we come across a text of Scripture that's kind of controversial, by the way. When you begin to interpret it and you begin to look at it and exegete it, it's kind of a, a controversial statement because there's two different schools of thought on this verse of Scripture. But listen to Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 and 37. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, that, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now notice in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is, Jesus is helping us to apply and to understand that all the commands that are given in the Old Testament to those of old, that is through the, through, through the Old Testament, that those that were given were never designed, by the way, never designed to save a soul. They're there as a tutor, right? Paul talks about it later. It's a tutor to teach us how lost we really are. But what Jesus is doing is he is taking the, the, the letter of the law and he's giving us the spirit of the law, right? He's trying to give us what is the intent? What was God's purpose behind giving the Ten Commandments or the laws that we have in the, in the Decalogue of the Bible. What was God's intent of doing that? It wasn't just say, hey, here's this letter of the law, walk and keep this thing. But there's an intention behind that. So he says, you have heard it has been said of those of old, he says, do not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. That is, if you make a promise in the name of God, then you ought to keep that promise. Amen? That, that you ought to, if you say anything that you promise you're going to do, that you ought to do that. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not swear at all. That is, don't swear by heaven, for it's God's throne. Don't swear by earth, for it is the footstool or his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Now, let me help you to put this in context. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that in the Old Testament time, there was an allowance for people to under oath, to swear an oath under 
that by God's name. You're saying, I don't believe that. That's not true. Well, all you got to do is read the Bible and you find it is true. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, it is written, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. So there it is right there, plain English. You should take oaths. So here's what they were doing though. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, the religious leaders would say, well, if we make an oath, not in the name of God, but if we do it on a, a, a heaven, or if we say we're going to make an oath by earth, or we're going to make a, an oath by Jerusalem, then it becomes less binding. If we do it by God's name, certainly it's binding. But if we do it in these other names, it's less binding. And then they would say, and certainly if we do it by my own head, right? By, I, I swear on my own head that, that it's true or whatever. You know, so it becomes less binding. And what Jesus is confronting here is this idea that, that we ought not really be swearing oaths, period. Why? Because as followers of Jesus Christ, as God's children, we simply ought to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We should not have to, in our conversations with other people, try to drum up something that says, well, this is really true. You know, here's what we say today. This is the gospel truth. You ever hear that? This is the gospel truth. I don't need to say, if I walk in the truth and I tell the truth, then I shouldn't have to have to do that in conversations with people. Am I right? I mean, my word ought to be my bond. That's what Jesus is saying. But then you have a problem because there's another interpretation of that scripture. There's another interpretation of the scripture that says that, that no, obviously God is not forbidding the fact that we are going to have sworn testimony or that we're going to have an oath that we make and we can even do that. Some would even say in God's name today that we could even still do that. And that what, what God is talking about, what Jesus is talking about here in this text, as he begins to give us this information, he begins to say to us that, if you notice the text, he said, you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. He said, but I say to you, do not swear at all. That word, do not swear at all. He's talking about don't make light by saying of heaven or of God's throne or of the earth or of the footstool. Don't make light of the oath that you're making. That's what he's trying to say here. I don't, I don't believe that. I think that what Jesus is saying is he, he caps it off at the end. Notice what he says. He caps it off at the end, but let your yes be yes and your no be no for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. In other words, we need to, as followers of Christ, not say, well, you know, if I make an oath in God's name, it's strong, but if I make it these other things, it's lesser. And so what Jesus is saying is, you know, I need to make sure that, you know, I, 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 you know, keep this oath, not that oath, or, or this is more binding. That's what I don't think Jesus is going against the system of their ideas. And he's saying, listen, it simply needs to be, if you say something, let it be true. If you say something, it ought to either be no, or it ought to be yes. And don't add anything in between. Amen. So when you get in the court of a law or you make an oath or you make a promise, let's use marriage. Nobody likes marriage. By the way, you know in the state of Alabama now to get married, all you have to do is uh, go to a uh, notary public. You sign a form in front of a notary public, you're married. They have just disintegrated marriage, I think, in the, in the state of Alabama. But that's my opinion. But let's say marriage. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. Amen? And, and when they stand before the preacher, they're standing before God and they're promising each other you know, they're going to live together in harmony and in fellowship and that they're going to forsake everybody else for that covenant relationship and they're going to be in that relationship until they die. Jesus said, let your yes be yes. You know what I mean? If you made that promise to that woman, you made that promise to that man, 
You ought to keep that promise. Amen? Now, I realize with the hardness of men's hearts, I realize things happen. I do. Amen? And God has allowed that, right? God has given us, we've got to use our common sense, right? If a woman comes to my office this week and says, my husband had beaten my eyes out, I'm not going to say, well, you've made a promise, you made a vow, you better stay in there. <laughs> no, I'm going to take her to the house of Ruth and get her some help. Amen? Why? Because I don't want a woman in that situation. That's not a marriage anyway, anyway right? That's not loving your husband as Christ loves the church. That's dangerous. That woman needs to get out from under that. So we don't want to be stupid, okay? We want to be wise, and we want to, we want to again, act justly in what we're doing. But keep your promise. Whatever promise you make. How many times we say, Lord, in prayer, Lord, if you just get me through this. <laughs> Anybody ever say that? <laughs> she did. That's why she said that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Have you ever done that? I've met people. Listen, I've been in the hospital. I'll never forget one time this guy I knew in my first church I ever pastor went to the hospital. He was in our community. He didn't know the Lord. He had a massive heart attack, almost died. I went to his hospital bed, Tim, and I talked to him and, you know, talked to him about the Lord. And he said, preacher, if I just get okay, I promised God I'd come to church. As far as I know, he hadn't been there yet. See, what we do is we play these games with God. We think we make these promises to God. God, you know, we're bargaining with God. Listen, you cannot bargain with God. He said, oh, yeah, Abraham did. Abraham didn't bargain with God. God was helping Abraham to see how futile his thinking really was. You're going to start with this many people being righteous, this many people being righteous, down to this many people righteous. And what do we find out? There's not even 10 righteous. God rescues Lot anyway, and his wife turns back, right? And then it's not long after that that we find out how unrighteous they are as a family because then his daughters have intercourse with him. So we find out they're not even righteous. Let me tell you, God wasn't bargaining with Abraham. God was trying to teach Abraham something. See, sometimes we have to learn our lessons, right? But listen, when you make a promise, keep it. When you say yes, let it be yes. If you say no, let it be no. Jesus said anything beyond this is what? What do you call it? Of the evil one. Of the evil one. I'll I'll conclude with this. Listen to uh, Ray Fowler, a preacher, wrote this statement about perjury and about all that we've been talking about this morning. He says, it has been said that when you commit perjury, you are in effect calling upon God to witness to your lie. Wow. That's convicting. That speaks. Let's be truth tellers, ladies and gentlemen. Let's not make oaths rationally. And if we do promise anything, let's keep it. Daddy, you promised that little kid you're going to take him to the park. Take him to the park. Mama, you promised you're going to do something for that child. Do it. Husband, you promised your wife you're going to take off, be home early, and spend some time with her. Guess what? You ought to keep your promise. Amen? You make a promise to serve in the church, you ought to keep your promise. Amen? Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Because when you make a promise, it's an oath. And we don't want to perjure ourselves. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.